Good morning, Veritas. Glad that you have joined us this morning, whether you're online or here in person. Uh, We are excited to bring you God's Word. Uh, We did one worship song on the front end so that we could get through the sermon. Uh, We've got communion and more worship planned, but we'll see what happens. Um, So God has been so good to us in uh, 10 years uh, next week. What an amazing time for us to just reflect on this amazing miracle that God has done here. He is building his church. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against it and have not. And we're looking forward to celebrating uh, what God has done. And some of you heard uh, Jake Each, Drew Stevenson, David Livingston, Jeff Dodge and I um, all preaching. You're like, that's going to be a nightmare. We're going to be here till 6 p.m. Because uh, Jake, you know, he preached last week, and you know, that was it was 47 minutes. I was I was good, uh, but you're thinking times four or five. I don't know uh, if I'm going to come. Hey, we're all going to try to preach one sermon. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be uh, hopefully short and sweet. We'll find out. But we're going to let it rip, and uh, we're all going to preach a sermon together. Each of us will get one point of the sermon, so it'll be a blast. So come. It's going to be fascinating uh, what happens next week. And we are going to celebrate. We're going to worship. And so I hope you can be here. All right. So we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And here's what we've, what we've discovered. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is, is writing this letter to this church in Corinth. So ancient Greece. And there's this church here that he planted. Well, he had left, and, and the church has grown, and now the people in the church are sort of questioning his authority. They're questioning his teaching. They're calling him an intellectual lightweight. They're saying his preaching is like milk for infants. Like, you know, at Paul's church, we just don't get fed. Have you heard that? Um, people are saying that about the Apostle Paul, and, and he's, he's got a weak presence. He's uncompelling. And so some people are like, yeah, we don't follow Paul. We follow Apollos. Man, have you heard that guy? Powerful preaching. Amazing. We, you know, that's, that's who we're about. Others are like, no, we're not for Apollos. We're for Peter. And so he's addressing the number one problem in this church. Now, when you get, if you come uh, here in two weeks, uh, you're going to find out there are some huge, massive problems in this church. But according to Paul, he spent four chapters addressing the main issue in the church, which is division. Now, we know in our culture a thing or two about division. Uh, You guys hear this word thrown around all the time. Uh, The problem in America is all the tribalism. And tribalism uh, is, here's the definition, behavior and attitudes that stem from strong loyalty to one's own social group. So we find these, these little things to divide up around, and we form our little tribes. And so uh, it'd be like this. Imagine this. Uh, Imagine this morning. I said, here's what we're going to do, Veritas. Everyone who supports blank, so I just find all the hot topics. I I just say, hey, everyone who uh, is like a Black Lives Matter person, you're passionate about that, I want you guys to go over here. And everyone who's against that wants you to go over here. And uh, And then here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to talk about COVID and kind of all your opinions on COVID. Everyone who believes this about it, I want over here. And I start dividing the group up. And, and then I get down to things like vaccines and breastfeeding and views on end times and like every just like 
thing that people have really strong opinions about. And I start dividing everyone up until this group is like divided into a hundred different little subgroups. That would be the worst possible thing that I could do. But here's what the world does. They take it a next a step further. Um, so unity can no longer be found in what we all agree on because we don't agree on that, that many things. So, so what we do to find unity in America is we form anti-tribes. So we're all in these hundred different factions. And then we say, is, okay, these are too small. So what we're going to do is we're going to find a common enemy. And I say, okay, all of you little groups out there, hundred different groups, say, all of you that hate this political candidate, come over here. And all of a sudden, all these people that don't agree on all these other things find out like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So all these people who disagree on other things, they find unity, kind of this dark synergy in their mutual hatred of that person over on the other side, okay? That is essentially like the worst possible thing I could do this morning. But that is what our culture is doing. We're dividing up into tribes and anti-tribes. Now, and that's, I mean, that's social media is essentially, that's what it is. It's just like dividing up groups of people into these little, like, I'm for this person, I like and retweet this person, all that stuff. So there's kind of a crisis of division in our culture. Paul is addressing this. And this morning, I believe we get, we have been getting the last few weeks, but we continue to get more solutions for this problem of division. Now, it's important to understand that Paul is writing to the church. He's not writing to America. So this morning, I'm talking to Veritas Church, not all the people like out there, right, on the, on the internet. I'm not talking about all the, the other people out there in our culture. I'm talking to Veritas Church. And Paul is going to speak to us this morning. And so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. He says this, a person should think of us in this way. So he's just, us is like Paul, Apollos, Peter, these church leaders. This is how you should think of us church leaders. As servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. Okay, let's stop there. So he says, here's how I want you to think of us as servants and stewards. Now, these two words are important. A servant is, is like a household servant. So the, this, uh, it's, this is the word, sorry, that's the word. Servant is this word under rower. So in a, in a ship, you would have at the very bottom, the people that were rowing. This was incredibly hard, strenuous labor. And he says, that's us. We are in the lowest, dirtiest part of the ship, and we are just rowing and we're pulling and He's saying, that's how you should view church leaders at the very bottom in the dirtiest, darkest spot, rowing, right? And he, sa- and he says, we're also stewards. Uh, we're stewards. And this is the word for household servant. Uh, uh, someone would hire, maybe hire someone to run their household. So their finances, their food, even their children's education. They would hire this, this person to run and manage their household. And of a a CEO of, of, their, of their house or, or whatever it is. So, so here's a, the first thing. There's three points in this message. Uh, and the first one is this. If we want unity, kind of the solution for division, unity requires the leaders who are in authority are under authority. 
If we want unity in the church, it's going to require that the leaders who are in authority are under authority. That's how you should view church leaders, is they are the people at the bottom of the ship under God's authority, serving and faithfully managing what he calls these mysteries. What are these mysteries? Well, I think the mysteries are the mysteries of God's word, uh, the mysteries of the gospel of Jesus Christ explaining, helping you, you find these mysteries. The message translation says, consider us guides into God's most sublime secrets. I love that, guiding people into God's most sublime secrets. Have you ever, have any of you ever had gone to a place where you needed a guide? Uh, you, you, maybe it's a, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a, a, like rafting or whatever you needed. You need a guide or, or going out on an adventure. Well, I went to Jerusalem and about 20 years ago, went to Jerusalem, one of the most historically rich and fascinating places on earth. Here's the problem. I didn't have a guide. Right? These uh, missionary friends dropped us off in Jerusalem. They're like, all right, have fun. Just do whatever you want. So we just started walking around Jerusalem with no guides. And so we, we would just walk around and we'd see all of a sudden this big group of people. So, so there's these guides with microphones leading their groups around. All of a sudden we'd see a big crowd of people like fall down and start kissing the ground. And we're like, oh, I bet that's important. We should walk over there. And we walked over and we tried to listen in to what the guide was saying. And this is the Church of the Holy Sepulcher where we think Jesus was buried. And they would go on and explain the thing. And we were trying to listen in. We were in this historically rich place without a guide. And to us, it looked like just a bunch of rocks and old ruins. We needed someone to guide us into the treasures of Jerusalem. That's kind of how some of you feel about when you read the Bible. You open it up and it feels like just a bunch of old ruins and rocks. And you're like, wow, I think there's some pretty important stuff in here. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Our job is to help you discover the treasures in God's word and the treasures of Jesus Christ and to, to marvel at him. That's our job. And Veritas, I believe that you are here or you are listening online because you want truth. You want truth. You're not here to be entertained. You're not here to know what opinion articles I've been reading this week. All of my hot takes. My job is to simply help you discover the treasures of Jesus and his word. And I better be knowledgeable and reliable if I'm going to do that, right? And we see over and over, and some of you guys have seen this in other church experiences, um, Hopefully not here, maybe, I don't know, but just what happens when a church is not led by household servants and stewards, right? When a church is led by arrogance, God have mercy. Um, imagine just we found some guide walk around Jerusalem and like he was totally lying to us and just making up stuff about Jerusalem. Oh yeah, this is a really cool spot. Like we see plenty of that in pulpits and that's, that's our job is to bring the word of God and it's truth. So, and I also think about uh, this application for me. And so at this point, I'm kind of preaching to me and the elders and leaders is that um, when you think of us, don't think of us as owners of Veritas. Don't say, uh, we go to your church or whatever. This is not my church. It's not Jeff Dodge's church or any of the elders, right? Uh, the, 
the Veritas staff don't work for me. That's just one of my little pet peeves when I hear other uh, ministry people like, yeah, my staff team or whatever. It's like, like, no, we don't, I don't work, no one works for me. Like I work under Jesus and we work together in this. A household servant would never assume ownership over the owner's house, field, and kids. Okay. So as we move on, we see Paul saying, listen, verse three, if I'm God's servant, he says, it is of little importance to me that I should be judged. This is the word for like investigate. It's of little importance to me that I should be judged or investigated by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. Verse four, for I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. The second thing we're gonna need if we're gonna have unity, the solution for division, is that unity requires trembling at the judgment to come. If we're gonna have unity in the church, we have to be looking forward to the judgment to come And that has a way of humbling us. Look at what Paul says. He says, it's of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or any human court. This is such an interesting statement because he's saying, if I'm God's servant, if it's true that I'm working in God's household, then it's God's job to judge me, but not you. God's going to do the judging part. And he says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. I don't even judge myself. Isn't that interesting? Like, how could I, if I can't even fully understand all of my motives for doing things, how could you know my motives for doing things? So, like, if you were to come up to me and say, Mark, you know, um, you've talked about the, the Zambia stuff, and I know you're pretty passionate about that, and you know, I just, I just sense that when you're talking about this, like, I just think it's selfish. I think you're proud. I actually think that uh, you don't love the people of Zambia. I actually think you're, you're racist. I think you, um, you're just saying all that stuff to make yourself feel, feel better. It's actually very selfish of you. And, and I'd be like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think... I think that I really love those people. I think that, you know, but you step in and are like, no, I, I can tell. I can see it in you, right? At that point, you're, you're judging my motives, right? That's what Paul's saying. How could you possibly know my motives? I can't even know my own. So when you sit in judgment on me, you're assuming the place of God. So, so under this point of judgment, here's just a thought. The first kind of sub point under this would be Guys, we need to stop assuming we know what we can't possibly know about other people. We have to stop assuming that we know what we can't possibly know about other people, which is their motives. I want to tell you this, if you can understand this point, this will be so freeing to you. You're going to love this. Here's, here's how. Because this idea that if I'm God's servant, I'm not accountable to you. I'm not your servant, but God's. And if I'm not accountable to you, 
I'm free from your expectations of me. Isn't that a cool thought? Like, I'm free from your expectations of me. Do you have any people pleasers out there? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, um, but raise your hand for, for my pleasure. I want you to please. I uh, know you, you're not. Uh, okay, so here's, here's the thing. This is our culture right now. This is what's so crushing for the people pleasers. Everyone in our culture is a judge. And everyone else is on trial. Wait, why did you post that? Why did you speak out against that? Wait, why didn't you speak out against that? Why were you silent? Why did you like this tweet? Why did you repost this? Why did you, and everyone's a judge, and everyone's on trial, and so we go throughout our lives like we are being judged by the whole entire world. I think this, 1 Corinthians 4, serving Jesus Christ as his servant is the only possible path to freedom. If you have to live under the weight of everyone's expectations of you, you'll be dead. (laughs) If I lived under that weight, no human could carry that weight. If I had to live under the weight of every single person's expectations of me, Mark didn't do this. He should have done that. He should have preached this. He should have said that. He shouldn't have said this. He should have. If I lived under the weight of that, like I won't even make it through the rest of this day. But it's freeing to me that I can stand before Jesus and just do my best and try to be faithful with the limited gifts and brain power that I have. Okay. So whatever, but I'm Jesus' servant, and I just study, and I bring it, and I'm like, that's what it is. That's the best I got. So that's freedom. It's freedom from people-pleasing. It's freedom from judging. It frees us because we don't have to be everyone else's judge. We don't have to correct everyone else's things that they're liking on social media or whatever. We're just free from that. We're even free from judging ourselves. And as we see, as we go on, look at verse 4. He says, And we see this as both freeing and a little bit terrifying. He says, it is the Lord who judges me, verse 4. So I'm going to stand before God. And he says, for I'm not conscious of anything against myself. Like, I think I have a pure heart. I don't think I have any evil motives, but I'm not justified by this. Here's, do you understand what he's saying? Like, how I, this coming judgment means that how I think I'm doing as a pastor and as a preacher, doesn't even necessarily matter. It doesn't justify me. It doesn't free me because it's God who will judge me. And I know that sinners can justify pretty much anything, right? And so I'm not judging myself. I don't want you to judge me. I'm not going to judge myself. But I do realize God will judge me. God can and will assess my leadership and my motives. God can see the motives and intentions of my heart. So verse 5, so don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts, and then praise will come to each one from God. 
Don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. We can leave the judging part to God. And church, we've got to stop putting people on trial under our personal investigation, right? We are not the FBI for people's motives. Like we don't need to go around and judge people's motives. Now, at this point, I I have a little objection that you might be asking. Some of you might be throwing a yellow flag uh, up here. Wouldn't that be cool if we had like everyone got a flag? You could just throw them up like when you disagreed with something. Yeah, there we go. We had something in the back row. Um, Here's a little objection, right? Some of you might be thinking, wait a minute. If, If we're not supposed to judge, as Paul says, anything, won't this lead to total chaos? I mean, aren't there actual, like, legitimate behavioral expectations? Like, isn't that convenient for me to stand up and say, hey, guys, I don't live... None of you are my judge. I can kind of do whatever I want. That's, that seems like it might be a little bit of a problem. Well, look at what he says in verse 6, the second part. He says, learn from us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written. I think what he's saying here is, don't go beyond the Bible. Don't go beyond what is clearly written. Because there are some things that are written clearly. Don't go beyond those. Don't judge. And as he says, the hidden intentions. Now, chapter 5 is about to take a very sharp turn. In, verse, in chapter 5, verse 3, he says, I've already pronounced judgment on this person in the church who's behaving a certain way. In chapter 5, verse 12, He says, it's our job to judge those inside the church. Wait, what is it? I'm getting a little whiplash here because, Paul, you're saying don't judge anything prematurely. And over here in chapter 5, you're saying it's our job to judge those inside the church. Here's the thing that we see in chapter 4. There's a big difference between judging motives and judging actions. Did you get that? There's a big difference between judging motives and judging actions. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. I'm going to skip to the end of the chapter. He says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Now, remember, he's defending his ministry. They're saying Paul's weak. He's, he's a lightweight. In verse 15, he says, well, you have many countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Look at verse 18. Now, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills and will find out not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Paul is saying, I'm coming to you and there are huge, massive issues in the church and I'm gonna call you out for those things. But I just want you to know, do you want me to come gently in love and a spirit of gentleness, or come with a rod. He's saying, I do have authority, and I want to come gently. Which will it be? Here's the second sub-point to this point of unity requires this 
this understanding that there is a judgment to come. And it's this, that people who live with expectation of judgment, they listen to rebuke. They listen to rebuke. Now, if I have stuff on my computer or my phone and it's discovered, I can't say, hey, no, you can't judge me. You're like, no, I, I'm not judging. I'm like, you, no, you can't judge my heart in that. We're like, I'm not judging your heart. I'm saying you've got this junk on your phone and you are clearly in sin. You know, if you hear me like exploding and swearing and cussing somebody out and I'm like, you come and talk to me and I say, hey, you can't judge me. You're like, no, no, actually, like that was pretty flagrant disobedience and sin, right? At that point, you're not talking about my motives. You're talking about my actions. And that's what Paul's saying. Uh, So we need to understand the difference between motives and actions. But look at how it ends. Um, I'm going to, it's actually going to go back to verse six where he says, now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another for who makes you superior. So uh, the reason that we want to judge other people is because it makes us feel good about ourselves. Like if I can prove that you're guilty, it kind of implies that I'm righteous, right? If everyone else is guilty, then I'm righteous. And Paul's saying, yeah, that's that's what you're doing when you're judging. You just want to make yourself feel better and superior. And now he asks a question that's one of my favorite questions in the Bible. He says, what do you have that you didn't receive? Let me, let me just think about this question that Paul's asking. What do you have that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? I mean, think about your life. What do you have that wasn't given to you? What do you have that was not a gift? What do you have in your life that you can say, I did this? Maybe it's your education. Like, I did that. Like, God didn't take all those tests for me. I did. God didn't spend all that time studying. I did. God didn't build this church. I did. God didn't, you know, get this awesome physique. I did. Some of you are laughing. You're like, yeah, you totally did that one. Uh, but I, no, like I did this. It's my, see, I'm super into health stuff and that's why I'm healthy because I did this. Um, actually, yeah, I'm kind of an expert on this because I did it. Um, it's just like taking credit. Like think about that. Think of how absurd that is to start boasting about your life, about all the things that you have done. That is just an incredible, humbling question. And this is the last point. That if we want, this, this, is the, this question is kind of, to me, the ultimate solution for division. Number three, unity comes from seeing your entire life through the lens of grace. Unity comes from seeing your entire life through the lens of grace. That word grace, charis, it just means gift. When you understand that every single thing in your life was given to you, 
you will have nothing to boast about. When you see your life through the lens of grace, you will definitely not think that you are better than anyone. You'll always be able to answer the question, hey, how are you doing? Like, wow, better than I deserve. On the worst day of your life, it's still the same answer. Like, wow, better than I deserve. Through the lens of grace, I can give grace to people that I disagree with. I can be gracious and kind to people who are angry with me through the lens of grace because I'm no better than them. I'm not one up on them. I'm not smarter than them, better, all those things. Like to my neighbors, I can be gracious. Like it frees me because nothing that I have was because of my doing. And if there is, you can always tell someone doesn't believe this when there's pride, when they do think, no, I I did do this. And I am kind of, I do know more than you. And there becomes pride involved here. Well, Paul ends with, we're not going to read it, but he's basically saying, guys, um, I'm hungry, homeless, beaten up, dragged into the Colosseum. I'm garbage scum. I'm serving you guys at the bottom of the ship, rowing as hard as I can, serving in God's house while you, Corinthians, are rich and proud and filled. And he's saying, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. And this becomes the key to our unity, is our humility. Um, just want to end with this, this story. Um, there was, back in the day, um, there's a story about this world-renowned pipe organ player who traveled around the world. And organs require air to be blown through the organ into the pipes. And so they had these huge boxes called wind chests. And these wind chests had to be manually pumped. Like, it was incredibly heavy, hard work. So this organ player needed to hire someone to manually pump the wind chest. So he hired this teenager. And this organ player would travel around to all these places and do these incredible, go to these incredible cathedrals and, and play these shows. And so this organ player uh, was having this incredible show. Everyone's cheering. And after the show, the, his his laborer, this teenager, uh, who is back, you didn't even see this person. They were like in the bowels of the church, like, oh, just, you know, pumping this thing. And this guy, uh, organ player, or this, this teenager came up and was like, man, I heard the applause up there. We had a great show, didn't we? And the organ player looked at him and like, what do you mean we had a great show? Well, the next week they had uh, an even the, the biggest show of the year coming up. And the organ player was doing the usual routine. I mean, it's a crowded cathedral, and he's just playing as hard as he can, and everyone's cheering. This is just the most heavenly thing. And all of a sudden, he's hitting the organ, and there's no sound. No sound. And he's hitting the keys harder. 
no sound. And then after the show, the, the kid comes up from the basement and says, we didn't have a very good show tonight, did we? Right? So that's what the Corinthians are doing. They are taking all the credit. And Paul's saying, I'm under serving you like Jesus Christ. And this is our calling, is that when we take on the role of the servant, when we look at ourselves in that way, as everything we've been given is a gift of God's grace, and my job now is just to be a conduit of God's grace to you. And the blessing that's come to me is now going to go through me to all the people that I come in contact with. And when we live out this way, we understand that we are servants, that God is going to judge us. That doesn't just free us to do whatever we want. No, it frees us to tremble and live humbly. And as we see our life through the lens of God's grace, Veritas, we will be a unified church. And this is exactly what we need right now. And as we think about Paul's example of serving the Corinthian church, uh, we all want to aspire to that, but we also realize that Paul really was drawing the Corinthians' attention to Jesus Christ. He's the one who served to the point of death for us. And he actually was crucified on a cross for our sins. This is the only possible way that unity can happen in the world is through the wounds and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, Paul says that he put to death our hostility and divisions. Like our unity is not that we have a mutual enemy. It's that we share a common Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of those little things that divide us just go away when we turn our eyes upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're going to have communion, I believe. Uh, rain is coming, and rain is here. Can we do it, James? Okay, he wants me to speed up. All right. So as we take communion, uh, let's do this in remembrance of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. And the servers can make their way to the tables and worship team. Come on up. Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us and your blood that was shed for us. God, if there's anyone in this place watching, sitting here, listening, that does not know the forgiveness and the love that is in Christ Jesus, the forgiveness, the grace. I pray that even now they will hold out their hands and receive it. That's all you have to do to become a Christian. You just hold out your empty palms and say, Jesus, I give you my life and I want to receive your, your forgiveness and just confess your sin, turn from your sin and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. That's what communion is. It's a reminder, once again. Uh, some of you may be coming to the tables for the first time, some for the hundredth time, whatever. Just we invite you to come. Let's do this in remembrance of Jesus Christ, our Lord.